Good morning. All right, kids, feel free to go ahead and head out, practicing for our Christmas Eve service. And for the rest of you folks who are sticking around, uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them, and uh, turn with me to the book of John. The Gospel of John is where we're going to begin. We'll actually be seeing three verses, uh, three different scripture verses this morning, four, I should say. Um, but we're going to start in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. And uh, if you don't, uh, the text will be up on the screen. Hope everyone is a uh, had a great uh, holiday season, and uh, my prayer for us as a church as we go into uh, Christmas week is uh, that we would have lots of fun and uh, lots of food and good family, uh, but most importantly that our hearts would be set on Jesus Christ and that we would uh, worship him and love him and adore him and share him uh, with those that we may come in contact with. Uh, Would you do this with me? Would you go ahead and uh, uh, bow your head and close your eyes, and we're going to pray one more time, and uh, then we'll get into our text this morning. Father, it's so good for us to be here. It's so good for us to sing songs to your Son, Jesus Christ, in particular during this season of year where we recognize his great humility. Jesus, thank you that you... Um, although being fully God and always existent and always in relationship with your Father, always worshipped um, for all time, you in great humility um, left uh, the comfort and pleasure and the place of heaven and that you took on flesh. You took on flesh and bone and skin and you came uh, not just as a, as a man, but you came as a baby. Uh, as we have sung in our songs this morning, we were reminded that not only did you incarnate yourself, uh, but I'm amazed that when you came into this world, it was not with great pomp and circumstance uh, that you came in a small, <laughs> no-name town, and that you were born uh, not in an inn, not in a palace, but in a manger. And you came and you um, lived among the animals when you were born. Thank you, Jesus, for your humility. Thank you that you have come to show us the Father. Thank you that you have come to reveal him to us. Thank you that you have come to teach us and to speak to us and to live in perfect obedience for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you were born in a manger and that you died on a cross and that your life is for us and that your death is in our place and that you bore the wrath of your Father and his holy Um, anger and perfect justice and it was on you because you were not only God but you are man and we're so grateful for that as we celebrate you and your birth this season we anticipate uh, a few months from now when we celebrate and remember your death and we celebrate that you overcame sin that you overcame Satan that you overcame the world and that you even overcame death and so this Christmas we anticipate Easter and what it means for us Jesus, would you be among us? Spirit, would you help us? Would you help me to speak words that are accurate and true and meaningful and powerful? And Spirit, would you come make our hearts soft uh, towards your word that we might be different people? Father, I pray for people here who don't know this baby Jesus, who don't know him personally, who have not trusted in him, who have not been born again of him. I pray that this would be the day and that this would be the Christmas where they meet their creator God, the baby born in a manger. We ask it in his name. Amen. 
This morning, we are going to continue in uh, part two of a three-part, three I should say, a Christmas series uh, called The Christmas Carol. Uh, many of you, probably all of us, are familiar with Charles Dickens' uh, famous story, which have, has been turned into movies and plays and all sorts of musicals, uh, A Christmas Carol. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about The Christmas Carol, uh, part two. The Jesus of Christmas present. If you were with us last Sunday, we saw the, the Jesus of Christmas past, and we asked the question, what was Jesus doing in the past? And, and who was this man that we celebrate his birth uh, during this time of year? And so we uh, uh, saw the ghost of Christmas past, if you will, uh, take us on a whirlwind tour of the past of Jesus Christ. Who was he, and what was he doing? Last week we saw that Jesus uh, was the creator God. And so in Genesis 1, when it says God spoke creation into existence, we see that Jesus Christ was there. He always existed. He was the God's uh, cre- uh, agent of creation, if you will. And not only did he create the world, but he currently sustains the world. That is, we live and move and have our being. We are here today because Jesus Christ maintains the universe. We saw that also, not only was he creator, not only is he sustainer, but we asked the question, what happened on Christmas Day? I mean, what happened the day that Jesus Christ was born? And what we saw was that Jesus maintained his full divinity, that he did not lose any of his deity, any of his godness, if you will, but instead he added humanity. He, he added full and complete flesh and bones, just like you and I. And then we asked the question, uh, what does it matter? What did Jesus Christ accomplish here on the earth as the God-man? And there are many things that Jesus accomplished, but what we saw is that uh, mainly he was our substitutionary sacrifice. That is, Jesus died in our place for our sins on the cross because he was fully God, he could obey in our place, and because he was fully man, he could die in our place. And so last week we saw the Jesus of Christmas past. This week, we're going to take a look at the Jesus of Christmas present. That is, what is Jesus up to today? What is he doing? And so um, we're going to have the ghost, if you will, of Christmas present uh, take us on a bit of a tour of Jesus' current state, his current ministry. Um, If you recall in... in, in, in the play, A Christmas Carol, uh, that the ghost took Scrooge on a, on a tour of what was happening. He, he showed us the house of Bob Cratchit and how he was poor and how they were celebrating Christmas together with joy, um, even though it was a very small turkey, if I remember the movie correctly. Um, and we saw that Scrooge was able to see uh, the dire situation of Tiny Tim and, and his heart was moved by that. Well, instead of seeing the, the present state of Ebenezer Scrooge, We're going to see the present state of Jesus. And so I don't know if you've ever asked this question before. Maybe it's never crossed your mind. What is Jesus doing right now? I mean, what is he doing? Where is Jesus right now? I think so often, rightly so, we talk about Jesus' life. In fact, we have four Gospels that record the life of Jesus and Uh, Rightly so. So much emphasis is put on what Jesus did, his earthly life, his ministry, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and how he bore our sins in our place, and he gave us eternal life. So much is put on what Jesus Christ has accomplished thus far, and rightly so. And I think most of us are familiar with that, Uh, but the question that I want to pose this morning is, is Jesus Christ done 
I mean, is, is, is he still saving us in a sense? Uh, what is he doing? Is he active? Uh, we see if we re, uh, uh, read the Gospels in the book of Acts that Jesus Christ lived on the earth after his resurrection for 40 days. He appeared to his disciples and many people up to 500 at once and he revealed himself to be resurrected from the dead. If you read the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1, we have the account of the ascension of Jesus Christ. That is, Jesus Christ gathered his uh, disciples and he gave them their mark marching orders. Acts 1.8, you should go and make disciples in every place. You should be my witnesses. And then the, the text says that he ascended on the clouds into heaven. And so where is Jesus Christ right now? Well, Jesus Christ is in heaven. Other biblical texts inform us that when Jesus ascended, that he did this. He sat at the right hand of God the Father, a place of prominence, a place of honor, a place of authority. And and we see a text indicating that Jesus Christ is with the Father in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And so this is where Jesus is right now. But what is he doing there? What is Jesus Christ up to? Does he have a present ministry to us? Is there anything that he does for us right now after his resurrection? And this is the question that we're going to tackle this morning. And so if you have, uh, if you take notes in your Bibles or maybe on one of our notebooks, there are four things, actually there are many things that Jesus Christ does right now. I'm going to highlight four things. And so if you're taking notes, uh, jot these four things down and then we're going to walk our way through them. Number one, the first thing that Jesus Christ is doing, his present ministry, is he is preparing our place in heaven. He is preparing our place in heaven. Uh, when I begin to ponder this question, it's a fascinating question. Does Jesus still care for us? Is he still doing things for us? Or is he just, you know, in my mind's eye, I envision him at the right hand of God the Father. Is he just sitting there observing the world? I mean, is he just kind of taking, uh, you know, a few couple thousand years off? You know what I mean? Is he just twiddling his thumbs? I mean, what is he doing Well, Jesus is doing quite a few things, and the first thing I want to talk about is found in John 14. So let's read that together. In John 14, we're going to find out that Jesus right now is actively preparing a place for you and I, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, those of us who have been born again, those of us who believe uh, in what Jesus has done for us and personally accepted that. Jesus is now preparing a place for us. Let's read John 14. Together, Hopefully the text will be on the screen. John 14, 1 through 3. Do we have the text back there? Yeah? Okay, great. Okay, verse 14. Verse 1, excuse me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. A a bit of a context here. Uh, This is a a part of what is called the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, It's the last night uh, before Jesus' betrayal. It's actually the night of his betrayal, the night before his crucifixion. Uh, Jesus is gathered together with his disciples for his final Passover meal. Uh, If you read into chapter 13, uh, what you find out is that the disciples are disturbed. Uh, They're confused. They're upset. Uh, Judas has gone out. Jesus has indicated that one of them would betray him. 
And they question who that is. They're very concerned about that. And Jesus then proceeds to tell them that he is going to leave them, that he's going away, and that he's going to a place that they cannot be. They cannot go with him. And so they have, who have been with him for three years, they who have followed him faithfully, they who have left uh, possibly family and homes and, and businesses uh, and occupations to follow who they believe is the Messiah. And Jesus says that they cannot go with him. He's about to leave them. And so they are disturbed. They are upset. He is going away from them. And in that context, we have this wonderful description of Jesus' first current ministry for us. Notice the context, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. They are in distress. They are confused. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That could be rendered, you believe in God. You believe in the Father. So trust in me as you trust in the Father. And then he uses a a wonderful picture of his preparing a place for them. They will be with him again. And those of us who are believers in Jesus, we will be with Jesus at one point. Uh, Verse 2, in my Father's house, are many rooms. He says, I wouldn't have told you that if it wasn't true. In verse 13, and if I go, that is, I am going, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to take you to myself so that we can be together forever. Uh, Now, interestingly enough, uh, many scholars believe that this uh, image, this image of, of, of rooms and Jesus coming to receive his disciples reflects a current uh, a current cultural thing of that day. It reflects how marriages and, if you will, engagement periods were done. And so during that culture, um, essentially what would happen is that a couple would be betrothed, you could say possibly engaged, and after the official betrothal, uh, what the husband or the husband-to-be, uh, the bridegroom, if you will, what he would do is this. He would go and he would begin adding on an addition to his father's home. And so in that day, when you got married, you went to live with the father's house. And so from that moment on, uh, the bridegroom would go and he would begin to work and labor and build on this additional house, if you will, onto his father's house. And then as the day came when the the wedding feast would happen, uh, what the bridegroom would do is that he would go to the house of the bride. He would go back to where the bride is. And he would go, and it would be pomp and circumstance, and he would pick up his bride, he would take his bride, and he would go with her then to the house that he had been preparing for them to live with uh, for probably some months now. And so do you see the image that Jesus is using? Jesus is essentially saying, I'm going away. I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to be ascended, and I'm going to go to my Father's house. That is heaven. That's where I'm going to go. And just like the marriage custom of the day, I am the bridegroom. I am the husband. In the New Testament, this wonderful image of Jesus and his church, Jesus being the groom, the church, me and you, being a collective bride. And he says, I'm going to come again, just like a a groom would come and receive the bride and pick her up where she is. You are on earth. I am going to be in heaven, but there will come a day when I will return and pick you up. There will be a day that I will come again and I will take you to be with me where I am in my Father's house and currently in that time in between then and 
Whenever that happens in the future, notice what Jesus is doing. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, just like that bridegroom would work for those however many months until the official consummation of the marriage, until it was officially wedding feast time. He would work. He would be toiling. He would be building roofs and however you build houses, that's what he would be doing. He would be actively working, thinking about the bridegroom, thinking about the day that he could be with her in marriage. And the Bible describes in the book of Revelation and elsewhere that there will be a day when Jesus comes back for his church and there will be a day uh, in heaven. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus will be with his bride and we will be robed in white robes of of perfection and of his righteousness. We will have resurrected bodies and we will be reunited with Jesus forever and ever. And so this is what Jesus is doing right now as we speak. He is preparing a place for us. Lest we get um, too excited about the place that Jesus is doing. We have a wonderful description of what heaven and the new heaven and the new earth and Revelation 20 and 21 is going to be like. It's spectacular. Go read that this afternoon and be in, in awe of the house, if you will, that Jesus is preparing. But you know what? The most wonderful thing in that day will not be our little, you know, house in heaven. It's going to be that Jesus is there. It's going to be that we will be reunited with him. Notice the emphasis at the end of verse 3. I will come again and I will take you where? Not Not to my father's house, not to the place, but what? To myself, where I am with you, so that I may be where you are. And that's the point of eternity. That's the point of heaven, is that we will be with Jesus. That we, as the, bri- as the bride uh, that Jesus redeemed and purchased and will come again for, that we will be with him forever and ever. And so what does that mean for us? Uh, jot this down. Since Jesus is preparing a place for us, since Jesus is preparing a place for us, let's find comfort. Let's be comforted by that fact. And I get that from the context. Remember what is going on here. His disciples are confused. They are scared to death. They uh, don't know what's happening. They don't know where he's going. They are concerned. And Jesus gives these wonderful words and he tells them he's going to prepare a place for them and for us so that we can be with Jesus. And so in spite of the confusion that they're feeling, in spite of uh, the hurt that they may be feeling, in spite of the fear of uncertainty, he says, be comforted. Notice this, let not your hearts be troubled. And I think that's a word for all of us this Christmas. Uh, Christmas can be a wonderful time. It can be the most wonderful time of the year. But you know what? For a lot of people, it's not the most wonderful time of the year. Depending upon what's happening in your life, it may be a very difficult time of year. And I would venture to say that, like the disciples, it may be a time of confusion for you. It may be a time of hurt for you. It may be a time of fear or uncertainty Maybe confusion over a relationship with a, a spouse or a significant other or a parent or a friend or a coworker. You know, it may be a time of uncertainty 
over your job, whether you're going to have it next month. It may be a a time of uncertainty over the economy. What's going to happen? It may be a time of uncertainty with a child. How are they going to turn out? And so I think let's let this word, let not your hearts be troubled. Let Jesus speak to you and speak to me this Christmas. We can be comforted regardless of what it is that we're facing like the disciples are because we know that there will be a day Not that we will be on the streets of gold, although that will be wonderful. Um, There will be a day that we will be with Jesus. And there will be a day that we will walk with him. Uh, There will be a day that we will worship him. Uh, There will be a day that whatever hurt, fear, confusion, uncertainty we're facing, it's going to fade in the distance. And so what is Jesus doing right now? Number one, he's preparing our place in heaven. He's preparing us a place in heaven. Uh, number two, number two, the second thing that Jesus is doing is found in Hebrews chapter 7. And so turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you're not as familiar with your Bible, turn to the right. Further in your New Testament, you're going to find several books. If you get to the book of, say, Timothy's, Titus, keep going. And if you pass the little book called Philemon, you will find a book called Hebrews. It's about 12 chapters, I believe. Uh, It's a lengthy book. Uh, Find Hebrews chapter 7 is where we're going to be. And we're going to discover the second thing that I want to highlight that Jesus is doing for us. Not only is Jesus preparing a place for us, and this, I think, is a wonderful truth. Jesus is not only preparing our place in heaven, Jesus is praying for us. Jesus, just let that sink in a little bit. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Let's read this together. The author of Hebrews says this, Consequently, he is able, speaking of Jesus here, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, that is completely, those who draw near to God through him. So our salvation is secure. We draw near to God through Jesus and he is able to save us completely. Notice this. Since, this is what Jesus is doing, since he always lives, notice those words, always. That means always. (laughs) He always lives to make intercession for them. That is you and me. Those of us who are in the family of God. Those of us who are believers. He always lives to make intercession for us. We see the very same thing reiterated in Romans 8 at the tail end of that chapter, verse 34, I think. This is a wonderful truth. In the first truth, we saw that Jesus is preparing our future home in heaven. He's preparing our future home in heaven. But not only is he tending to our future, but he's tending to our present. Do you see that? He's tending to our present needs on earth. Jesus cares about what's happening in my life and in your life here, right now. And he is interceding for us. Uh, This word intercession, it's a simple word. It essentially means to speak to someone on behalf of someone else. And so um, you have probably all done this at some point, although I won't make you admit it. Most likely it was in the junior high years. But it usually goes something like this. You have a friend uh, and this friend likes this other person, right? They, they think that he's cute or that she's really good looking, you know? And you know how that happens. You have a friend and they're like, 
would you go tell so-and-so that I think, you know, you know how that works. And so you then become what? The intercessor. You are going to speak to someone else, to the person that this guy or girl likes, right, on behalf of them. You are the intercessor. intercessor. You intercede. Um, and this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus now is standing before God the Father, God the Father in heaven, Jesus, fully God, fully man, just like us. He is our intercessor. He is standing before the Father, and he is speaking to the Father on our behalf. He's speaking to God for me and for you. He's praying for our needs. Uh, a little earlier on, the author of, of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 makes a statement, and this is Trey's paraphrase, but essentially he says that Jesus had to be fully human. He had to be made like his brethren in every respect so that he could be a sympathetic high priest. And what that means is that since Jesus uh, knows what it's like to be sleep deprived, and since Jesus knows what it's like to feel stress, and since Jesus knows what it's like to be sick, and Jesus knows what it's like to have difficult and troubled relationships, because Jesus is fully human, and he knows the limitations of humanity and the pain that it is to simply be human, because of that, he is sympathetic towards us. When we pray to him, when we seek him, he is sympathetic. He knows what it's like. And so this scripture tells us a wonderful truth that Jesus is praying for us. I don't know if you've ever had this happen uh, to you before. It, it happens to me, and uh, it's, such a, it's such a wonderful thing. Um, maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe there are circumstances that are happening. Maybe it's a really rough day. And, and you talk to someone on the phone, or maybe you run into them at the gas station, or you get a Facebook you know, message from them, and they say to you something like this, <clears throat> Trey, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you today. Has anyone ever done that to you? Has, have you ever got that from someone? Just that little affirmation, I'm, I'm praying for you today. I got a Facebook message the other day from Lee Carlson. And uh, she, we were just, you know, there was some dialogue going on. And she said, you know what, Trey? I'm praying for your dad. Uh, he lost his job uh, recently. I'm praying for your dad. And that meant so much to me. It means so much to me when people like Cal and Carolee Kaufman, uh, when I stop by their house and they say, Trey, we pray for you. I just want you to know that, we, that we're praying for you as our pastor. Has that ever happened to you that someone has just let you know that they are thinking of you and that they are stepping into heaven's throne room before the Father on your behalf? If you've ever had that happen, you know how wonderful of a feeling it is that someone cares enough to go before the Father for you. What this text is saying is that Jesus is saying to you, I'm praying for you. I'm going before the Father for you right now as we speak. We're not going to flip there, but I encourage you uh, maybe this afternoon or sometime this week, read John chapter 17. Read John chapter 17 because what we have in John chapter 17 is what theologians call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's a wonderful passage. In John chapter 17, we get a glimpse of Jesus' ministry as our intercessor, as he intercedes, as he prays for us. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself in the trial he's about to go through of the cross. He prays for his disciples that are there with him 
He prays several things. He prays that God would keep their faith strong. He knew that they were going to be tested and that they were going to be tempted and he prays for their faith. He prays that they would display unity. He prays that they would be one just like he and the Father are one. He prays for their joy. He says they're going to face a difficult time but I pray that they would have joy. He prays for God to protect them from Satan. Satan is going to attack them. He prays that they would pass that test and endure that temptation. Not only that, but he prays that they would be useful missionaries. He says, I'm going to send these guys out, Father, and I pray that they would be effective missionaries for me. And then, in a wonderful passage, he prays for us. He prays for the future church. He looks ahead to me and you, sitting in the pew, and he prays for future believers. It's a wonderful passage. And so we see that Jesus, right now as we speak, is interceding before the Father for us. So this is an applicational statement. Jot this down. Since Jesus is praying for us, since Jesus is praying for us, let's go to him with our needs. A simple statement. If Jesus constantly lives to pray for us, then why in the world do we not take our needs to Jesus? I think uh, that Jesus, uh, what he did in John chapter 17 is a wonderful model for for us. And so um, since Jesus prayed uh, for the disciples, for their faith, that it wouldn't fail and it wouldn't falter, Jesus is is praying that for you and I. Maybe your faith has been weak. Maybe you've struggled with doubts. Maybe you've struggled with the circumstance. Maybe you've struggled with God's goodness and your faith is under fire. Jesus is praying for you right now that you would maintain your faith. Maybe you've been fighting the fight for joy. There's been depression, there's been struggles, there's been fear, there's been worry, and you don't have much joy. Jesus, right now, is going before a holy God and praying that you would have joy. He's praying that he, uh, that the Father would protect you from Satan's attacks. So I don't know what temptations have come your way as of late. I don't know uh, what you are fighting with, but Jesus knows. And he's praying for you in your battle, for your temptations right now. And I think it's a wonderful thing that Jesus continues to pray for me and you, that we would be useful missionaries. And so I want to take this opportunity to put this in my mind and in your mind, that when we gather for Christmas holidays, with, whether it's with family or friends, wherever or whoever it's going to be with, what a wonderful opportunity for us to be missionaries. And I think that Jesus is in heaven right now, praying to the Father, asking that we would be bold with our cousin, with our aunt, with our uncle, with our brother, with our sister, with our best friend, friend when we meet with them during the holidays. Jesus is praying for us. So what is Jesus up to these days? Number one, he's preparing a place for us in heaven. Number two, he's praying for us. Number three, he's being our advocate. Jesus is being our advocate before the Father. Turn with me to the book of 1 John. So continue to turn to the right in your Bible. Towards the end of your Bible, you will pass uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and then you will get to the book of 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 2, we have a wonderful revelation that Jesus not only cares for our future state in heaven, not only does he cares about our present needs on earth, but Jesus right now is actively involved with our present 
standing before the Father. With our present standing before the Father. He is our advocate. Let's read this together. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's referring to what he said thus far. I'm writing these things to you because I don't want you to sin. Then, notice this, but, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only uh, for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so in John, we have this wonderful revelation that Jesus, right now, he is the righteous one and he is our advocate. He says, but if anyone does sin, so here's a simple question. Do people who are born again, Christians like myself, do we sin? Yes. (laughs) If you say no, please talk to me afterwards. Um, Yes. Uh, We do sin, even as believers. And so what Jesus is saying is that uh, what John is saying is that I don't want you to sin, but rest assured, find comfort in the fact that when you do mess up, when you do sin, when you do blow your lid, when you do talk about someone like you're not supposed to, when you don't exactly act patient, whatever it may be, we have an advocate before the Father. Now, an advocate is simply one who defends another person in a courtroom setting, kind of like a defense attorney, if you will. Like a defense attorney would stand uh, before a judge kind of in your place and represent you, that's what Jesus is doing. Literally, the word means one who speaks in our defense. That's what an advocate is. And so when we sin as believers, and that sin goes before a holy God, instead of a holy God striking us dead or sending us to hell forever and ever as it is deserved, Jesus Christ, our advocate, stands before God and he says, yes, Father. I knew Trey, I know Trey blew it this morning. Yes, Father. He didn't say what he was supposed to. Yes, Father. He didn't do what he was supposed to. And your right, wrath and punishment against him is deserved. But remember, I'm the righteous one. I am the perfect one. I am the propitiation. That means that I took your wrath for Trey's place. So we're all good, right? And the Father says, yes, we are all good. That is Jesus being our advocate. And so applicationally speaking, jot this down. Since Jesus is our advocate, we have eternal security. Since Jesus is our advocate, we have eternal security. Uh, This is a wonderful thing because I don't know about you, um, but I have dreams, bad dreams sometimes, And our bad dreams consist of different things, but one of the worst bad dreams that I have is, uh, and I don't know details, I don't remember them, but in my dream, I did something wrong. In my dream, I sin. I don't know, I'm making this up. I murdered someone, let's just say. I did something wrong, and there's a sense of guilt and shame, and in my dreams, uh, I feel guilty and there is punishment coming and it's deserved and then I wake up and I don't know if you've, maybe I'm just weird, but I wake up and I feel guilty. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling before. Maybe it's because I struggle with this. But I wake up and it takes me a minute to think, did I kill that person? <laughs> it's none of you, don't worry. 
At least I don't think. Um, <laughs> and I think, did I really do that? No, I didn't. But, you know, for some of us, we actually do things that are wrong and we feel guilty of them. Jesus is our advocate and we have eternal security. There's nothing that I could do as a believer that will cause God to look upon his child, his blood-bought child, and say, adios. Um, There's nothing that we can do that will exclude us from his presence because we have an advocate who is the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And so we have eternal security. But it goes the other way as well. It goes the other way. Jesus is the advocate for those who place their faith in him. But the opposite is true. For those who have not placed their faith in Jesus, for those who don't know him personally, for those who have not accepted his propitiation, his taking of God's wrath for their sins, the opposite is true. It's like you're standing before a judge and you have no lawyer. It's like you're standing before a perfect judge, guilty, and there's no one to speak for you. There's no one to speak on your behalf. And so what the New Testament reveals is that Jesus is the advocate for those who place their faith in him. But the Bible also says that Jesus one day will be the judge. He is the defense attorney for the believer, but he sits as judge for those who do not place their faith in Jesus Christ. I heard a a story, a true story, um, and uh, I'll summarize it here, but it, it makes this point well. Uh, there was once a lady who uh, was to appear, uh, to appear in court on a particular day, on a particular time, and she faced charges, criminal charges, and she was guilty. She knew that she was guilty of doing this, and she knew that she had to get a good lawyer. And so she was talking with her friends, and the friend recommended this particular lawyer. He was very good. Um, he, uh, f- you know, had gotten her out of something that she had done. And so she took his name and number and thought, I'll give him a call. He's going to be my lawyer and, and maybe he can get me out. Maybe he can equip me, uh, get me acquitted of this. And so uh, time passed and days went by and uh, she kind of uh, just procrastinated. She let it go, let it go, and then she looked at her, at her calendar and she realized that it was that week that she was to appear before the judge and she still hadn't called this lawyer. And so she gets on the phone and she sets him an, uh, up an appointment and she meets with this lawyer And as she meets with the lawyer, she gives him all the details. This is what happened, uh, lying, of course. And, and, you know, can you be my defendant after giving him the particulars of the case? And and to to this, this little story said this. Um, The man said, you know what? If you had come a, a few weeks ago, I would have gladly taken your case. And I would have been your advocate. I would have been your defense lawyer. But two days ago, something happened. Two days ago, I was appointed as judge. And so you will see me in two or three days and I will be your judge. And that's the truth of Jesus as our advocate. He can be your advocate or he can be your judge. Uh, My prayer is that he would be your advocate, that you would place your faith in Jesus Christ and be born again and be changed and have eternal security. Number four, what is Jesus doing? Number four, Jesus is giving spiritual gifts Go ahead and jot that down if you're taking notes. Jesus is giving spiritual gifts to, to the church, to believers. 
And we find that in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to go back to our left in our Bibles. So go with me back to the left, to the beginning, towards the beginning of the New Testament. Uh, as you're going left, you'll have Romans, you'll have First and Second Corinthians, and uh, after that you will run into Galatians, and then you will find Ephesians. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 for our final verse this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, we're going to find out that Jesus... Uh, is not only tending to our future in heaven. He's not only tending to our present needs on the earth. He's not only standing before the Father uh, in heaven as our advocate. But he cares about the church. He cares about his body. He is equipping the church for acts of service to one another and our community. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Let's read that together. Verse 7. But grace... But grace was given to each one of us, that is, to each believer. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and he, he quotes a scripture, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And notice that last part, and he gave gifts to men. And so what is Jesus doing right now? What Jesus is doing right now is he is giving spiritual gifts. When people place their faith in Jesus Christ, they become God's son or God's daughter. They become a part of the church, and Jesus is gifting individuals for the acts of service. Notice verse 7. It says, Grace was given to each one of us. That is, every believer gets at least one gift, several of us more. Uh, Grace was given to each one of us. Notice this. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Did you know that your spiritual gifts are determined by Jesus? That's an amazing thing, that Jesus determines the spiritual gifts that I receive and that you will receive. And so whatever it is that you're gifted in, it's not random. It's not by chance. Jesus himself distributes these gifts. And then notice the timing of it. Verse 8, when he ascended on high, that refers to his ascension. Remember, we talked about Jesus resurrected, lived for 40 days. Boom, he ascended up into heaven to return again. He says, at that point, when Jesus ascended on high, and then he uses this image that was very common for this day. He says, he led a host of, uh, led host Sorry, he led a host of captives. It's the image of a victorious uh, Roman general. What would happen is they would go to war and a victorious general would have a, a, like a procession into a particular town after a victory. And what they would do is they would go before and they would leave this procession and they would kind of have a train of captives, that is people that were captured from war. And then what they would do is they would take the loot of the, of the victory and they would distribute it as they see fit. And so they would give it to maybe you know, Caesar, they would give it to the local town officials, they would give it to friends, whomever they wanted, they would give gifts. Uh, you've heard the phrase, to the victors go the spoils, right? Well, that's, that's the picture of what Jesus did when he defeated sin and Satan and death. He ascended into heaven, and I want to focus on he gave gifts, spiritual gifts, to men. That's what he did. To the victors go the spoils. Um, and so here's our final application point. Since Jesus is giving spiritual gifts to believers, let's use them. It's not rocket science. Since Jesus is giving us gifts, let's do something with them. 
Let's not let his spiritual gift go astray. So I want to make a couple comments, and then we're going to wrap up. A couple comments about this. We're not going to talk about specific gifts and what gifts are and what gifts aren't. We can have that conversation. Uh, But the point I want to make is this. Uh, We need to use the spiritual gifts that God gives us. We need to use them. And not only that, we need to discover them. We need to develop them. And in my uh, history... And I think in my experience, what I've discovered is that people discover their spiritual gifts simply by getting involved in a local body. And so I want to encourage you, man, when we have needs in this church, whether it be with a WANA or uh, you know, youth group or in the church service, or whatever it may be, teaching Sunday school, leading kids ministries, when we have needs, I want to challenge you to consider when somebody approaches you and when you get that phone call and you know what it's about, and you're like, oh man. I don't want to tell him no. <laughs> um, consider not telling me no. <laughs> consider not telling that person who's calling you no. And here's the reason why. When we serve in the body of Christ, I think it's one of God's avenues for helping us discover our giftedness. Short story. When I was 18 years old, I had been a Christian for two years. I was involved in a youth group, but I wasn't by any means a vocal leader. I showed up, but I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a leader. You know, I just showed up. I was a part of this youth group. Um, and I was shy. I didn't talk much. I was very shy. And I hated being in front of people. And I still do. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, sometimes I do. Uh, but it just scared me to death. I was not, I don't, I don't like being in front of people. I was introverted. And um, long story short, my youth pastor said, hey, you know what? Uh, youth Sunday is coming up. And that means a church of 600 people. We need someone to preach. And guess what? You're the man. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I didn't want to disappoint him. I liked him. I wanted to please him. But everything in me said, no. <laughs> Heavens, no. You can take that and, okay, I'm not going to go any further. But I thought, there's no way in the world I'm going to get up in front of 600 people, 18 years old. I've never, I've never preached a sermon in my life. But I did. And I'm sure it was a miserably bad sermon. Uh, but, you know, I, I enjoyed it. And long story short, to a large degree, that's why I'm sitting here in front of you. Because someone asked me to serve, and I said yes. And so, say yes. Uh, secondly, there are some, uh, some of you and some of us we know what our spiritual gifts are. We've discovered them. We're a good, a good teacher. We're a good administrator. Um, we are good at hospitality. Whatever, you know, whatever your penchant is. Um, and we know what our gifts are. But for whatever reason, we're scared to use them. We're scared to go out and step out and use them. We're scared to develop them. We don't want to do it. Um, and so I want to encourage those of you who know what your gifts are. And you're not using them to your full potential. Man, inc- think about what that could look like to do that. So, wrapping up, the Jesus of Christmas present. I hope that you have been impressed with what Jesus is doing today. The baby who was born 2,000, roughly, years ago, who was ascended to the Father, is not just twiddling his thumbs. He's not just observing. Jesus is still active in my life and in your life. He's preparing a place for us in heaven to be with him forever. He's praying for us, for me and you, right now. He's being our advocate before the Father when we screw up. And he's gifting his church to be effective in the body and outside the body. And so my prayer for us is that this Christmas, I pray it'd be one where the ministry of the living and the resurrected Christ, that his current ministry to us, 
would be rich. And I pray it would be real. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you so much for what you do for us, what you do through us, and what you do in us. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans. Thank you that you have sent your spirit to come, to be our counselor, to be our uh, teacher, uh, to fill us, to make us holy, to cause us to be born again. Thank you uh, that you are active in, in doing things in your church, Jesus. I pray this uh, holiday season that we would be so impressed with you, that we would be so in touch and so in tune with what you're doing for us, that we would marvel that a, that a little infant in a dirty, uh, smelly, unclean stable is now serving us, still. You're still serving us, Jesus. Thank you that you were our Savior, and thank you that you are, and still will be, and always will be, our Savior. We ask it in his name. Amen.